morning we're talking about um, a phrase, born again. And you've probably heard it um, because we live in a culture that uh, has been predominantly uh, Christian in its heritage. I would say that that's changing quickly, but um, at least originally founded on Christian principles and on a Christian understanding of who God was and what he's done and the person of Jesus Christ. And so much of what we talk about um, has language that we're used to. But particularly this phrase born again is interesting. Sometimes we'll use that phrase um, about things that have nothing to do with Jesus. Sometimes you can talk about an athlete who who is really bad, and then they've changed their ability. They've, they've practiced something new. Maybe it's a diet, something else. But now they, there's, such, there's such drastic change that you would say they've been reborn or they're born again, and they have a, at least their career has been reborn and born again. So sometimes we use the language for that. And sometimes we do use it about Christians. Sometimes we say... Uh, I'm a born-again Christian, or we talk about other people that maybe are a little radical in how they live, or what they believe, or how outspoken they are, and we would say that, yeah, that they're a born-again Christian. But the, the crazy thing is that that, that phrase, born-again Christian, is redundant. And what we see here is John is explaining to us that the term born-again is the only way you become a Christian. You you can't be in Christ unless you have been born again. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. We're going to see it in our passage, but we're also going to go to first or John, the Gospel of John, chapter three, and see a conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. So if you've got your Bible, um, you can go ahead and you can put a finger in First John chapter 5, and you can go to John chapter 3, because we're going to spend some time in both of those this morning. Because John is relaying to the church a truth that he's heard. I think sometimes we think about Paul and Peter and John and some of the other authors, James, and we think that they're writing new things down. But the reality is that they're writing down the things that they have heard. The things that they've either heard directly from Jesus' mouth, if they were one of the twelve disciples, or, or things that have been quickened by the Spirit of God in them, like with Paul, meeting Jesus on the road, and then the Spirit indwelling him, and it indwells us today. And so we want to know, what does Jesus have to say? What does God have to say? To do that, we need a miracle like we need every time we would come to the Father. We need to be able to hear him clearly. And, and we've all got different voices that are going on right this second. Some of those voices are sitting next to us. Some of those voices are in our head. But we all have voices that are going on that would want to distract us from what God is trying to tell us. And so we need the miracle of being able to hear. We need ears to hear and eyes to see the person of Jesus Christ this morning. So let's ask him to do that. God, we can come uh, nonchalant and just expecting you to do what you always do. And there's, there's truth to that, Lord, but, but I pray that we would see 
every, every minute work of God as the miracle that it is, it, as the loving kindness of God to a people that don't deserve it and yet you have showered us with your grace and put life in us. And so we live today. We live, we breathe, we move, we have our being in Christ. God, we want to have that being with, with ears that hear your word today. With eyes that would see your face. With understanding that would begin to grasp who you are, what you've done, and what you've called us to do in light of that truth. God, may your gospel go forward today in our hearts. And we pray that the gospel would go forward in your people everywhere they are. Lord, as we see today that there is a, a work that the Spirit does to bring life to dead people, Lord, help us to see what you're doing and rejoice in it. Help us to make disciples of, of those that are alive in Christ. Help us to point each other to you today. God, would you bring revival to our hearts Life to dead things. Lord, would you bring revival to our, our family members and our friends that we, we know need new life in Christ. And we would beg you to do that today. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who hears us and answers our prayers. And so we pray with confidence this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It says in verse 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. 1 John 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. The only way that you and I would make that confession that Jesus is the Christ, he's the one that's been hoped for, he's the one that has fulfilled all the promises of God, he is the one who has uh, lived the perfect life, died a death for you and for me, and he rose again, and he's ascended into heaven, and he's promised to come back. Like the only way we believe that is if we have been born of God. What does that mean, born of God? Born of God is centered on this idea of believing that Jesus is the Christ. In our passage this morning in, in chapter 5 of First John, we see it in verse 1 that it talks about uh, believing that Jesus is the Christ. And we also see that in verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? All of this, everything we're going to talk about today, hinges on who Jesus is. That he is both the Christ, the Savior, and that he's the Son of God. Both his humanity and his deity perfected in Jesus. We're going to see that today. And so, even as we begin to talk about how we live, how we overcome, how we have victory, all of those things need to be grounded in the person and work of Jesus. So don't get distracted. Like, if that's the only thing you hear today, hear that, and then we'll hear it again at the end, and we're going to rest in that. But I do think that there are some things that we need to hear today that have application to how we think, how we process, how we believe, how we live, how we interact with one another. And so let's press into that. 
Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Twice John repeats this idea of being born of God. Turn to John chapter 3 in the Gospel of John. John's writing this down. I don't know where he was as this conversation was taking place, but he has access to the conversation. This man, Nicodemus, is coming, and he has questions about Jesus, because Jesus is causing a stir, like Jesus is making his life maybe a little bit difficult. The, the teaching that Jesus has, the miracles that he's doing are causing a crowd to form around him. And now there's a crowd that's developing, and some people would think that that crowd should be gathering at the synagogue. Some people think that that crowd should be gathering in other places, but, but the person and work of Jesus is gathering a crowd. And so Nicodemus is going to find out what this is all about. But he has to do it in the dead of night, which is interesting. He doesn't want other people to know that he's asking Jesus these questions, and so he comes in the dead of night, comes in darkness to the light. John's all about that. You'll find, as you read the Gospel of John, and as we've read 1 John, he talks a lot about the light coming into the world. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. There's a recognition what we don't know is, is how heartfelt it is. We just, there's, there's, a, there's an understanding that what Jesus is doing are powerful and supernatural. These miracles that he's doing. And as they're kind of making introductions as Nicodemus is coming to Jesus and, and offering kind of this, this peace branch, Jesus cuts right to the quick and he says, listen, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Sometimes we, we talk in pleasantries. Jesus has a way of both coming to the point very quickly and doing it with such love and compassion because he knows our greatest need is to know truth. And so he tells Nicodemus truth right off the bat. His first words to him, Truly, truly, Whenever you see that, that was a, a way that teachers would use in the synagogues to say, listen, truly, truly, it's translated amen, amen, which truly or so be it. Whatever follows that is, is something that they feel is super important. Jesus begins with truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he uses that phrase, born again. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sounds. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This idea of being born again is not 
a natural death and birth. It's not natural. That's Nicodemus's question. How could someone enter back into the womb and be born again? That won't work. Jesus says, That's, you're right. It, it won't work. That's not what we're talking about here. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. So this new birth that he's talking about is not a natural birth. It's a supernatural, a spiritual rebirth, being born again spiritually. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. We have to be born again. Okay. So what is our part in being born the first time? Think about what you contributed to your birth the first time. Nothing. You were born. God did a miracle through your parents and particularly through your mother and you were birthed and you were born into the world. You, didn't, you, you don't get to take any credit for that. For some reason, we celebrate birthdays like you did something great on that day. You didn't do anything. You were born. Birthdays should celebrate moms. Every birthday you have, you should be celebrating your mother. Maybe your dad too, if, if that's how you're inclined. But definitely your mother, okay? But we did not contribute anything to our birth. We, were, we did not exist, and then we existed We were born. Now, I'm not arguing that in utero you are not existing. You are existing. Okay? God knew the hairs on your head when you're formed in your mother's womb. You're valuable. You're a child in utero. However, that day of birth, you didn't do anything to be born. So we're asking the question, why would Jesus use this terminology to talk about this regeneration that takes place in the human heart, the spiritual thing that is taking place by the power of his spirit, because that's what he talks about, that's how he explains it to Nicodemus. Why does Jesus use terminology that would talk about being born? Aren't we supposed to, to strive? Aren't we supposed to come to Jesus? Aren't we supposed to accept Him and to trust Him, which is an active participation on our part? He, he can't just do that. But the reality is that if, any, if new birth has taken place, if any of us would see the kingdom of God, it is because God has done a miracle of rebirth in our lives. I love when Matt loves to go to Ephesians 2. He already did this morning. Just can't help himself. And I get it. Because in Ephesians 2, you have this beautiful death to life. And if all of Scripture is true, all of Scripture points to before Jesus has done something in our lives, we are dead. We don't bring anything to the table. We were dead in our sins. But when Jesus comes, He does something by the power of His Spirit that would take a, a hard heart a dead heart, and breathe life into it. What's so cool about this passage, as we're reading about the work of the Spirit, let's hear it again. 
Starting in verse 5 in chapter 3 of John, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What's really neat there is that spirit is pneuma. It's a word, pneuma. So is wind or breath. It's the same word. So, so this same word is pneuma in both where it's talking about spirit, breathing life, spirit being like the wind. And so you have the pneuma blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. And you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the pneuma. We're talking about this this life in the spirit that gets breathed into us. That we have no control over. The spirit blows where it will. Now, who does have control of it? Who has control of the wind? God. The one who created all things, controls all things. He's sovereign over all things. His providence is displayed in his creation. And this pneuma, this spirit blows and moves in us and creates new birth. We're born again. We were dead. And now we are alive. That's powerful. That means that if there's any, any birth in me, and we're going to see like what is, what is the result of that birth, that birth, the result of that birth is love for God. Love for his commandments, love for others. If we see any of that in us, it's because God in his grace has done this thing where he breathed life into a dead thing. Sometimes that makes us feel really helpless. Makes us feel like we don't have control. I would say that that's more than a feeling, I would say that it's true. It's true that we're not in control. But the beauty is that we have access to the God who is in control. And by some crazy, awesome miracle, he's invited us to participate in what he's doing. And so now we have access to the God who is in control. And we get to lay our petitions before him. And we get to cry out, God, would you do what only you can do? Would you save? Today, it would be... um, it would be unwise to come in and just assume that all of us have been born again. There's so many reasons that we could be here this morning. Some of us feel like this is what we're supposed to do. Some of us are curious. Some of us are dragged here. Right? But the reality is that if there's anything good in us, it's because we've been born again. But what we would ask is that God would do the miracle that only He can do in the hearts of those that we love. And even the hearts of those that we just know. Even the hearts of those that we don't know yet. I, I spent some time this morning just walking around Cape Canaveral and praying, God, would you breathe life? Because I'm, I'm reading this and I'm like, man, I can't, I can't do this. I can't convince people with my words. We can't even show them with our love. Like, like they can see something good, but they don't know what it is unless they're, they've been reborn. They've been born again and their hearts have been opened to see that's Jesus. Otherwise, it's just something that's kind of cool that maybe I want to be a part of. 
I want to take a moment right now. And I want us as the body of Christ to beg God to do what only He can do. I want you to think about somebody that, that you would pray and you would say, God, would you breathe life into dead things? And I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but I want you to be thinking about I want you to pray. I want you to ask God to do that. Because we can have Sunday morning services and we can gather together as community group, but we cannot change hearts. Only God can do that. So pray specifically. Pray generally. Pray for your neighborhood. Pray for Cape Canaveral. Pray for Merritt Island. Pray for Cocoa Beach. Like that God would do this thing. Will you pray with me? God, this is true. We know because you said truly, truly. So God, would you bring new life, bring life, breathe life by the power of your spirit, blowing like the wind upon dead things. Lord, would you do it for our children? Will you breathe life and righteousness into dead sinners? God, would you do it for our neighbors? Would you breathe life? May they taste and see that the Lord is good because you've stirred their hearts to see goodness. Lord, would you breathe life into this city? Would you breathe life into our places of work? Would you do the work of regeneration that would cause dead people to come alive And believe that Jesus is the Christ. That he is the son of God. God we thank you that you are doing this. We thank you that you've done this in us. That we were dead and now we are alive in Christ. Lord may we rejoice in our salvation. May we live like we are truly alive. Because that's true. Change us God. Breathe life into dead things, we ask for your glory. Amen. Ezekiel 36, 25-28. We've talked about this a couple times, but it was the promise of God that he would breathe life into dead things. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your unclean cleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put into you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Our sea scrolls help helpful in us understanding this regenerating act of God, what God has done. I am suggesting, he says, following the thinking of Augustine and other giants of the Christian faith, that regeneration is not just God standing apart from us and trying to persuade us to come to him, but God coming inside of us. He invades the soul because there has been a substantive, substantive change in the heart before we can come to Christ. In order for us to desire the things of God, we have to be made alive. And to be made alive requires a sovereign act of God. I love that. It's helpful in our understanding. Listen, if you and I are moving towards God, it's because God has done the work in our hearts first. So we should rejoice in that. That really does give us the boldness to proclaim, I'm not doing this. 
God is doing this, and so whatever He is doing is good, so I can be patient with the work that He's doing in me. Anybody else get impatient with the work God is doing in you? Yeah, we do. We're impatient, and yet, if God is doing it, if He's the one who has begun it, and He says He's faithful to complete it, who are we to say, God, you're not doing it right? And yet I do it all the time. Mainly, not so much in myself, but probably in my family the most, and I'm sorry. It's super critical, right? I, I, we all do that. We're all impatient with one another. We're impatient with what God is doing in us, and yet, if He's the one who has done this, we can rejoice that there's anything going on. It's beautiful and it's exciting. But this new birth that's begun by God, how do we know it's happened? Paul, or John has spent so much time in this letter with this idea of assurance. Assurance that God has done this thing, that you have been born of God. That he's done this work in you. That would lead to rejoicing. He says that there's, there should be evidence of it. There should be evidence of it in the way that we live. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, back in 1 John 5, you can turn there with me. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commands, commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. We sometimes come to God's Word and we treat it like it's an anchor and we're just going to slog through it and it's going to weigh us down and it's going to take away the things that we want and how we want to live and it's going to call us to something different. Yep, it's going to do all that. I promise, it's going to do all of that. However, that is not a burden. It's not a burden. And the more that we move into it, the more that we realize that actually what God is giving us in His commandments, what He's given us in His law, what He's given us in the right way to live, is both the best for us and it gives us Himself. We have communion with God by obeying His commandments and following His laws. How do we know? Because in that moment, that's Jesus working out His perfect righteousness in us. And we are communing with Christ. We are in Christ. And it's beautiful and it's sweet. And this new birth that we have, this regenerating work that the Spirit has done in our lives, causes us to love God, to love His commandments, and to love others. I love that John uses all of these things back and forth. Like, Sometimes he'll say, listen, the, this is how you love God, that you love your, your brother. Sometimes he'll say, that, hey, you know that loving your brother is how you love God. Loving God is, is seen by how you love his commandments. He's very clear in this one in verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. If you say that you love God and you don't keep his commandments, one of those things are not true. You can't love God and not keep His commandments. So either you are keeping His commandments and you just don't know it. And you don't, you don't care so much about commandments, you just really care about God and it plays out in your life. You actually keep His commandments. Or you don't really love God 
And that's what he said all throughout this passage. A new birth, a new heart, a new life is a changed life. In, in chapter 2, 1 John 2.29, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Straightforward. If you love God, you will live in righteousness. You will walk in righteousness. I'm not talking perfect righteousness. Because we still war with sin. We can't use that as the, as the doubt that Satan would want to use it as and say, you know what? You're supposed to be righteous, but you're not all the time. And so you must not love God. No, we talked about this. We talked about practice. Right? Practice is what we do. It's how we're moving. What are we moving toward? Are we moving toward Christ or are we moving towards ourself? Because it takes working it out over and over in our lives and patience with one another and pointing each other and reminding each other and encouraging one another. And that's what the love of God looks like being displayed between us. 1 John 2, 29, practices righteousness. 1 John 3, 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. That keep on sinning is, is not battling in the flesh. It's giving in to the flesh. It's pursuing sin. John says that if you're born of God, you won't pursue sin. It won't be what you crave and what you want. 1 John 4, 7, that we talked about last week when we talked about God being loved. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Three different places, before we even get to this passage, for John is telling the church, you are born of God. You have experienced this new birth, this new creation, and you know how you know? Because you practice righteousness, you no longer practice sin, you have love for one another and love for God. I'm so thankful that we've seen that take place amongst us as a people of God. This moving away from sin and the practice of sin and this moving into right, the practice of righteousness. I've seen how we love one another. I've seen how you love God with your lives. And so I'm so thankful that God has done the work of new birth. But what we tend to do is just say, okay, well, if only God can do it, then God's either going to do it or he's not going to do it so I can just be comfortable and live my life. That's not true either. That's not loving your neighbor. That's not loving your brother. God, God has initiated this thing and then he invites us into it because as we see in this quote from R.C. Sproul, he says, after God makes us alive, then we must become involved. We must believe, repent, and seek after the things of God. But before God makes us alive, we are unable to do these things. We need God to take the initiative to change the disposition of our hearts, quickening our souls so that we can respond by embracing Christ and fleeing to Him in repentance. God changes our heart. Gives us a heart that would long to know God and to love Him. Then we read scripture. It says that if you love God, you'll repent of your sins and you'll turn to Christ. How do we know that unless 
We read the Bible. How do we know that unless somebody shares that with us? How do we, that this is the active, ongoing work of the believer that we get to disciple one another to point each other to God, to point each other to truth. See, God has done the, the, the work of the heart change, and only He can do it. We can't go and make converts. We can't go and change people's hearts. We can't, we can't make them born again. Only God can do that. But what God invites us to is the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. All the world is right here. It's right there. It's in our homes. It's in our places of work. We're looking for where God has done the miracle of new birth. And then we get to say, hey, yeah, he's done that in me too. He's done that in me too. Let's, let's pursue Him together. Let's repent of our sin together. Let's pursue righteousness and what that looks like as a household. Let's see what that looks like as a people that would gather in community group. Let's do that at, at dinners. Let's do that in the park. Like all of these things, we get to go and be part of the disciple-making process of hearts that have been changed by the miraculous work of God. God makes us alive, and then we get to become involved. We get to believe and repent and seek after the things of God. So you have being born again. You have the evidence of being born again in this passage, which is this new birth that creates practices of righteousness, of fleeing from sin, a love for God, a love for His law, and a love for your brother. How do we know that this works? Well, John says that the commandments are not burdensome. And then in verse 4 he says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And that is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I love Matt already talked to us about it from, from John 16. It says that he's come, Jesus says that he's come and he's overcome the world. And our faith says that we are in Christ. Like That's what we believe, that His death was the atonement for my sin. That His righteousness is what I am currently walking in and living in. And then we have the promise that He has overcome the world. Well, if I'm in Christ, that means I'm an overcomer. It means I live victoriously. That means that I am no longer a slave to sin, but I am a slave to God's righteousness. I don't have to be a slave to my own flesh and my own desires. I get to walk in the the goodness, the sweetness, the beauty of Jesus. That's what this faith piece is talking about. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. That victory piece... Is really cool for a couple of reasons. One reason, the word is Nike. That's pretty fun. You think about Nike, you think about swoosh, you think about uh, Air Jordan, right? But the reality is that Nike is a Greek word, and it means victory, victorious. We get to walk in the victory of Jesus. How do we know that he was victorious? Because death could not hold him. He rose again. He defeated sin and death. 
He's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, and we have the promise that He's going to come back again. And one day, there will be no more crying, no more brokenness, all the things that we were lamenting earlier in our prayer of confession. And Matt said, Lord, come soon. And that is our cry. God, come soon, because only you can fix what's broken. Only you can take the tears away. Only you can take the sadness away. Only you can take the the sin and vanquish it forever. And so we beg God, Lord, come soon because you are victorious and I want to walk in that victory today. This new life is not burdensome but victorious. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. There it is. Somebody else talking about being born again. One of the other disciples that have heard it from Jesus' mouth. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Man, we want to walk in that today. We don't have to wait for heaven because we're seeing this transforming and conforming work. It's still partial. It's still through a glass dimly. But we are seeing it. And that is what gives us hope that one day it will be complete that one day we will actually love each other completely. We will walk in the love of Christ completely. That's how this new birth is connected to Jesus. You see, he was dead and he rose again. His resurrection brought new life. And we too were dead and we need new life. And like Ephesians says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This morning we walk in grace. If we see any life, if we would look and see love for God, love for his commandments, love for our brother, that's the evidence that God has done this born again, this miraculous breathing of life into something that was dead. In Christ, we move from death to victorious life. Romans 8, 35 and 37. Paul writes and he says, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are conquerors. We are victorious. We are overcomers. That's that's a language that John and Paul and the disciples use, even as they are not experiencing what we would think of in our lives as overcoming, as victorious, right? They're suffering persecution. They're ill. They're in chains. They're thrown into jail. Many of them are are martyred. That doesn't look like victory or overcoming as I think it, and yet God says that they are victorious They are overcomers. They are conquerors in Christ. Shailen describes this new life like this. You might think Shailen is just a hip-hop artist. He's a great hip-hop artist. I would recommend him all the time. But he's also a pastor, deep thinker. And so what he writes in his music is from God's word. 
Shailen describes this new life, this victorious life like this. And just like the light that could not refuse to shine, irresistible grace renewed my mind. Let's exalt the king who died and and truly is risen. The new birth is not the effect of human decision, but the cause. It changes our natural habitation and situation. It's a radical transformation. I'm praying that God would do that. That he would perform what only he can do in radical transformation in our lives. That more and more we would see the life of Christ being displayed in each one of us. Displayed in us together because we are collectively the body of Christ. We are the bride together. And so we cry out, God, thank you. Thank you for taking dead things and making them alive. Thank you for the gift of people who would take time and invest their lives to disciple me, to grow me into into who you've called me to be and what that looks like to walk in that new life. Thank you for your son. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This morning, we cling to that promise. God, I was dead. That was the old thing, and it, and it passed away. And you have come, and you have breathed life. You have breathed life. How has he done that? John bookends this passage, and he says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We have to be connected to Christ to be, over, to be overcomers. We have to be connected to Christ to be victorious. We have to... Be connected to Christ to be conquerors. So this morning, maybe, maybe God's done this work and he's stirring it in you and you want to walk, you want to repent, you want to turn to him because you want to walk in that life that he's promised. Today's the day of your salvation. That's so exciting that we would be able to do that together, that we'd be able to celebrate what was dead is now alive together. But there's so many people that outside of this room and and probably some inside this room that need to hear that. And so we need to go. We need to share that good news. We need to walk in this new life that he's purchased for us. We need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and declare that with our lives. Sometimes with words. Sometimes without words, with the way that we live, with our compassion. We need to be declaring this good news with this new life that Christ has purchased for us. Let's ask God to do that. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the gift of the pneuma, the breathing of your spirit. That would take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. We thank you that what is born of the spirit is spirit. It's newness of life. It gives me confidence that even when my flesh is decaying, when it, when it doesn't feel like I'm living this victorious, overcoming life, that I have the promise because of life in the Spirit, I'm connected to Christ. My life is no longer my own, but it's hidden in Christ. But I pray that we would walk in that by faith today, that our faith would be what leads us to joy, Our faith would be the victory that we would walk in, trusting in you, the victorious one. 
So Lord, we ask this today. We pray that uh, we would continue to pray for eyes to see our eyes and that you would open the eyes of those that are lost and dead. We pray that you would open our eyes to see those that are alive in Christ, that, that we would disciple one another, that we would encourage one another, that we would teach one another, that we would be taught by one another. Who is God and what has he done and how do we obey his commands? How do we love each other? How do we love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? This is our desire. Would you do it in us today? In Jesus' name, amen.